Hi, I'm Mark Molesley, and you're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time. It's Grand National Weekend, so here are the runners and riders. I'm Lee Kedwards, a thoroughbred as always. We have got... <laughs> Rob Laurel, a cart horse. Hello, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I've been called a donkey a few times back in the day, so I'll take that, Luke. Chris Pratt, the, uh, well, he's a couple of films behind everyone. Hello, Chris. <laughs> Cheers, Luke. Yeah, hi, guys. And also joining us is uh, it's our very own donkey, Dickie Wharton. Hello, Dickie. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, I usually do need a carrot to entice me along. But uh, yeah, al- almost, a, almost a did not start today rather than did not finish. But good to be with you. And uh, the best one of all, the one who's out the front, the one who claims all the trophies, it's Aaron Clean. Hello, Aaron. <laughs> Hello there. I'm sure I'll blow up at some stage, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the last hurdle, one of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah the, also, BT Sports' best dress pundit, as I've uh, crowned him anyway. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Matt Smith, uh, listen. Yeah, well, hopefully he's doing, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we're going to be looking at a lot of the playoff contenders across the three divisions. Uh, later on, we'll be joined by former Hungerford Town manager Ian Herring to look across the south and former Boston United manager Craig Elliott to look across the north. But in midweek, in the National League, uh, well, thank God for Wrexham, otherwise there'd have been no goals, really. They scored six against Barnet by winning six goals to nil, six different scores there. Massive win for Kingsland over Bromley, which uh, gave Rob a bit of a squeaky bum. Would he still have a squeaky bum at five o'clock on Saturday afternoon? We'll find out later on. But we're going to start at the top of the table, where I know Chris and Aaron, you were both at Edgeley Park to see Stockport against Southend because it was the late game, the live game as well, on BT Sport. And... I know, Aaron, you kind of gave your thoughts briefly on the game post-match. I know Chris has been really critical of the Southend performance, but was it a case of Southend were really bad or Stockport were really good? I think Stockport were very good. I think they started the game really well, got an early goal and just controlled it from there. You know, um, I was, I was, <laughs> I got a little bit of stick on, on Twitter because I said that they'd not lost the home game all season. It wasn't, that the team hadn't lost a home game. It was the manager. Mm. So from being at Hartlepool and then going to Stockport, he's unbeaten at home all season. Um, and he just seems to have a way of getting his team so well drilled that when, especially when they're playing at home, they are, they're deadly. Um, and they were that yesterday. You know, yesterday they started off really well, got the goals, 2-0 at half-time. And I thought second half, they might take their foot off the gas. But they didn't. You know, Paddy Madden was instrumental in everything that they did. Um, and if you look through their team, they've got probably about six players that they've handpicked from the Football League, you know, that can comfortably go and play League Two, League One, possibly. Um, so they're expected to be the better team. And yesterday they were head and shoulders above Southern. Love that Paddy Madden finish, by the way, for his first goal, the way he just laced it in. Yeah, beautiful finish. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. And he's, listen, he's a good technician. But what, what's impressed me so much, well, I think when he first went there, there were a few question marks because he didn't really hit the ground running. And it was a case of, has he dropped down to, to Stockport just to pick up his money? You know, I think it's well documented that he's on a, a, a decent wage there. But he's been brilliant 
you know, I think he's got 19 goals now for the season in the league. And he looks every bit the the signing that they was was hoping he'd be. You know, he's like I say, he's the one that, that leads everything. He sets off the tone. Um, and because of what he's done in his career and how how he's uh, applying himself, the rest of the lads follow him. You know, he's a leader. And if he was just going through the motions, I'm sure the rest would... You know, some would would probably follow that, but he leads by example brilliantly. Yeah, Aaron, I'm I'm just smiling listening to you because I'm fortunate to to see this every week, and um, I think with with Madden, is he's, he's he improves everything that, that happens. So so the ball comes to him, he almost always makes the right decision. He never mm-hmm. gives the ball away, and he always advances the team up the pitch as well. He's fantastic in the air. He's not the tallest guy. When, when you stand next to him, he's yeah. fantastic in the air. He was awesome yesterday. I And I actually gave the, the man of the match in the, in the paper to Miles Hippolyte yesterday because I thought he yeah. was brilliant. He, he, he was. He was a good signing since he's come in from uh, from Scunthorpe. And uh, I, I, Rob disagreed with me. I thought the second goal um, that County scored yesterday was just magnificent. The, the, the one touch, the cross from Quigley, the chest from Collar, the ball from Crowsdale and the finish, and it was all one-touch stuff, and it was beautiful. Um, so I thought they were fantastic yesterday. Um, I thought Southend came with the wrong attitude. I thought that they kept... Because I tell you what, I've seen Dover come, and Dover... Although they've been, you know, they've, they've got very few points this season. Dover went to Edgeley Park and they battled within an inch of their life. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying Southend don't, didn't try. I know that that is that's not the case, but I think they were just off mentally in in the game. They they didn't have a shot, <laughs> and yeah, even when you're playing the top of the league, you've got to at least have a pop every now and then. And so, so um, Hinchliffe didn't have a save to make. So I thought they were disappointing and I thought in a way they kind of let down the fans because I thought the fans were magnificent in that corner. Yeah, they they were. All day. They clapped them off at, at the end of the match. They've travelled. I, I saw someone on Twitter say, well, that was an interesting day. I got home at one o'clock in the morning this morning wow. and they sung all day. And I just thought the team let them down a little bit yesterday. They've had a funny old yeah. season, Southend, haven't they? Um, they started off the season really badly, obviously dispensed with Phil Brown and they picked up again. Looks as though they're maybe pushing towards the playoffs and then they're just regressing again. And I know Kevin Maher said in his post-match interview that he knows what they need to do for next season, most specifically recruitment. Yeah, I think that that's going to be the key now. I think, listen, they they started off terribly and looked almost like they could go and get three relegations on the spin. Kevin Maher's come in and he's totally transformed it. Him with along with Darren Curry and obviously bringing John Steele in as well. Then they brought in a few players and totally steadied the ship. You know, went on an amazing run. But it's almost now they've got to a point where they're not going to get in the playoffs. They're not going to get relegated. This is now where Kevin's probably going to find out the most about his players and see who he's going to take along the journey with him for, for next season because he won't want to be sitting mid-table, that's for sure. He hasn't gone back to, to his old club to, to just sit there and, and cruise through each season. He wants to be challenging for for promotion and looking at least at a bare minimum to be getting in the playoffs next year. So he'll be now looking at the players, assessing them each game and saying, right, who's got the desire to 
go out and put in a performance every single week. And on the performance yesterday, there weren't many. You know, there weren't many that, that can come out of that game with, with their head held high. But I'm sure Kevin knows what he, what he needs to do. He knows the areas that he needs to strengthen. Um, and I think the lad going, the centre-half going back to, is it Sheffield United, has definitely had an impact on him. I think that defensively they're, they're a lot weaker. They're conceding a lot more goals. Um, and obviously they've still got Reese Murphy to come back in once he go, comes back from injury. So in an attacking sense, they'll, they'll be a lot stronger. So I think there's a lot of things that they need to work on. There's a lot of areas that, that they need to improve on in terms of recruitment. But I've no doubt that next season they'll be a, a totally different team to, to the one that we saw yesterday. Yeah, Wrexham, they are in second place. It was over 30, it was 34 goals scored in the National League on Saturday. Complete contrast in midweek, as we mentioned. And Wrexham, they got three of them, but they were made to work for it against Eastleigh. They were, they were behind twice, and then it took a last-minute penalty from Paul Mullen. Again, a lovely late penalty, just absolutely blasted it into the top corner. But have we seen a bit of resilience now, Aaron, from Wrexham? Because maybe early in the season, they've only drawn that game. Most definitely. They've totally transformed. From the, from the team that I watched early in the season, I looked and I thought, there's no way this team's getting promoted. Um, they just didn't seem to have this skill within their team. But now they have got resilience. You look at the, the game against Dover. Yes, they've conceded five goals, but they've scored six. You know, and you have to, you have to look at a team that can come from behind over and over again and find a way to win. And that's always a sign of a, of a good team. I've, I've played for Phil Parkinson and I know his teams have that never say die attitude. And he's managed to instill that into, into the Wrexham players now. I think at the beginning of the season, the expectation on their shoulders was too much. The expectation from the fans, the expectation from the owners was almost too much for those players to be able to handle. But similar to Stockport, They've brought in Paul Mullin, who has been absolutely fantastic. From where he's come from, his attitude and application has been first class. And then they've brought in Oli Palmer, who echoes exactly what, what Paul Mullin's been doing. So when you've got two players of that quality, of that stature, on that much money, and they go out and put in a shift every single minute of each game, you, you can't help but be inspired by that and, and lead you know, follow their lead. And Jordan Davis has, has been magnificent, you know, homegrown player. There's, there'll be nothing better for those fans than seeing what he's been doing because he's been, he's, he's been a breath of fresh air. For me, he's probably been the, the key player for them in terms of being a homegrown player, being able to look and say, he's one of our own. You know, that will make the fans even more proud, I think. Do you think as well in terms of Wrexham at the start of the season, it was a case of, I don't know, maybe they thought it was going to be a lot easier than they thought it was amongst the players. And all of a sudden they had a bit of a rude awakening mid-season and they're like, right, we've really got to knuckle down and stop getting away from us. Well, I think you look and you, I think at the beginning of the season, it, they expected just because all of a sudden they've had an influx of money that everything was just going to change. That's not football. You know, the manager has to get his philosophy over. Right? He has to get the players playing in, a, in the way that he, he expects them to play. You know, they lost Jake Hardy, was a blow for him because at the beginning of the season, him and Mullin looked really good. Um, but it was always going to take time. 
It was always going to take time. It, it doesn't happen overnight. But it's probably happened a little bit too late in terms of automate. I think Stockport made the change at the right time, brought in arguably the best manager in, in the division for, for the last few years. Um, and their fortunes changed immediately. So Wrexham got it together possibly a little bit too late, but going into the playoffs, I think they're definitely a team that, that nobody wants to play. Aaron, question for you. I know you've been uh, in recent years an attacking coach, but you've got to feel for the defensive coaches when you're lining up against those three forwards. I think that's the best forward three line in the division because they all offer something different, don't they? Ollie Palmer's big, strong. He'll win anything you want in the air. He'll hold it up well. Mullins an absolute pest. He's strong as well, but he'll yeah. spin you, he'll turn you. And, and Jordan Davis has just got those moments of quality. You know, if he gets the chance to pull the trigger anywhere around the box, that he can hit top bins, you know. 100%. And I, and I think that's what... They've now found a way to get these players the, the chances that they need. You know, Wrexham wasn't scoring goals at home, especially. Their home record at the beginning of the season was, was terrible in terms of goal, uh, conversion rate. But they've now found a way to, to get these players the opportunities that they need. And Mullin doesn't need too many invitations to, to stick the ball in the back of the net. I think 32 goals last season in League Two to get Cambridge promoted. You look and you think, OK, you've brought him in on a, on a massive price tag. Is he going to come here and produce? Is he going to bring the form that he had last season and bring the attitude? And he's brought both. And now with with that in the division, there's some really good, really good strikers. You know, all the way through. You look at I really like Carl Wooten and Rodriguez as a partnership. Brilliant. Sabara and Dallas, um, brilliant. You've obviously got the the ones that we've mentioned: Madden, Palmer. Um, you got Mullen. Waters and Warburton and Waters uh, and Warburton. And, and, uh, yeah. So there's there's so many. Um, in, when we get to the playoffs, it is literally going to be a shootout because if any of them strikers turn up on the day, they have the ability to go and score two and three. So it's it's definitely going to make for a brilliant end to the season, and that's exactly exactly what we want, really. Waters and Warburton sounds like a good solicitor, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> In terms of Wrexham, they've now over the last couple of months they've built up this this thing, haven't they? That they're not going to be beaten. You can be one up with five minutes to go, and they will still win. I mean, it's funny being sat at Edgeley Park watching these come through on the flash score because everyone's saying, "Oh, they just the referee just carries on playing, doesn't he?" Until Wrexham score a winner every single time. <laughs> but that's the sort of thing that they're building up now they're never ever beaten and it's a massive change it's a massive change Aaron hinted at it a minute ago when Aldershot went there whatever it was four five four weeks ago a month ago at that point Wrexham had scored 10 goals in 11 home games all season you know and there was a lot I picked up on that day a lot of dissent and, and unhappiness towards Phil Parkinson and the job he was doing. It was, believe it or not, you know, the expectation was high and they weren't delivering. And then they finally let loose that day. And I think they scored four that day. I think within a week or two, they scored six against Dover. They scored six again against Barnet, didn't they? Uh, and then, uh, you know, they're really free scoring now. So it, it, it's you've got to go to Wrexham with a slightly different plan now, I think. Are you giving all the shot credit, Rob, for that? Or... <laughs> 
No, <laughs> no, I didn't really want to mention it, but unfortunately, that, that that day was that day was pivotal. So they've scored twice as many goals, three times as many goals, you know, in the last month at home than they've done all season. Well, in in third place, as I mentioned, it was Wars and Warburton taking on Woking. It was Halifax against Woking and Halifax have been on a bit of a sticky run, although they uh, they've drawn. I think they've won two of the last three now, haven't they? Uh, they beat Woking by two goals to one. Uh, the first goal came about from a player we know, Chris, um, Javid Swabin-Even. He's got a long throw to rival Bentos as he, he launched it into the box. It forced a handball. They scored a penalty through Matty Warburton. Warburton added a second in the second half, but a late consolation for Woking. Couldn't hold Pete Wildside back and, and they've done it again, Chris, haven't they? Yeah, they have. I mean, they're the surprise package of the season for me um, at Halifax because if you look at the sort of resources that they've got compared to others, um, they've done fantastically well and they're beginning to pick back up again. They're unbeaten in the last three games after that wobble against Kings Lynn and, and Wrexham, but you know a lot of teams have been beaten by Wrexham. They look like they might have been the challengers to stop Port County for a while, but when you've got quality like that, Waters has been a revelation and Warburton, I mean, you say we know Swabby Nevin. We know Warburton really well because he came through at Curzon Ashton and then played at Stockport County. He's been all over the place. And he can score from anywhere, Matty Warburton, as well. He can score from outside the area as, as well as inside. And their quality has been outstanding. And I know they had a man sent off. That was late in the game, so it probably didn't really affect much. Woking are in a period of transition at the moment, but you've still got to go out there and get the three points. They've built it on that defensive solidity. They've only conceded the same amount of gold as Stockport County, which shows obviously um, where the success has come from. They're in they're in third position. I mean, I know a few people talk say, can they go for the title? I know you and Chris Hargreaves disagreed on it, whether whether the title's over or not. I think we can say Stockport. I don't think they're going to be caught, but certainly Halifax. You feel like they could stay in those that second or third place and get a home tie in the playoffs, couldn't you? Yeah, and if they do, then it's going to be tough for anyone who goes there because their home form is brilliant. You know, at home, they just seem to be a different animal. All season, and I know Halifax fans have been a little bit disgruntled because they don't feel like their their team's got the, the recognition that they deserve because of the, the likes of your Stockports and your Halifax mm. who, are, who are massive, massive clubs and kind of still all the limelight. Halifax, on their budget, with what they've got to work with, have been, I think you're right, I think they've probably been the, the surprise package this season. But they seem to be able to do it season after season. They, you know, they never have a big budget, but they're always in and around it. They're always causing problems. And this year, anything that plays against them in the, in the playoffs, mm-hmm. especially when they go to Halifax, are going to find it difficult because they're, they're a resilient team, defensively really good. And have have a few lads in there that can that can score a goal. They always seem to improve players. That's what I really like about about that club. Players go there and they improve. Just a quick footnote from the Woking perspective. I don't know if anybody listened to Darren Sarles post match. He he said it was a really good performance from Woking, and they dominated the match. He appreciated that sounded a bit hollow because they lost it two one. But performance wise, he was very very pleased with them and. Uh, what you've got in a number of sides now in this division, you've got the usual, you've got teams fighting for promotion, uh, title for playoffs, you've got teams battling against relegation, and you've also got a little pocket of two or three clubs in there that 
that might be not going up or down, but they've got new managers as well. So they're dangerous opponents right now. And uh, uh, just a little bit of a note for that that word from from Darren Sull. What did you think of that move, um, Darren, um, Aaron, from uh, Sull, from Yeovil to Woking? Because it made a few, uh, a, a few eyes sort of look up at that one. Yeah, well, I spoke to him last week um, and he said that he was really excited by the project. And when you look at what he's got to work with, they're not a million miles away. It's the first season that they've gone full time. So I think it's, they started off really well and then it kind of petered out. But uh, he's a very good manager. Like he's a coach. He is a proper hands-on, go out there and coach the team, improve the team. And he's got all the tools there. If they're if they're smart with their recruitment in the summer, then next season they're they're going to be they're going to be dangerous. I don't think anyone will will enjoy playing against them. And you look at their their form, their form's brilliant. You know, we watched them beat um, Bournemouth, and they were brilliant. They were they were brilliant. So I think that he's it's a good move. I think it's a good move for him. I think it's a good project for him. I think he's definitely going to improve the the club, you know, from from what he's saying. I think that there's listen, there's things that are really good and things that need work. He's he's a, a manager that can go in and and raise raise the bar at the football club, and that will be good for for everyone concerned. On Good Friday, it's going to be Solihull Moors against Wrexham. It's going to be a really interesting game. That that is on BT Sport, and uh, Solihull could. Leapfrog Wrexham, I think, unless, well, I mean, they might have to score a few goals, but certainly they can go level on points with them. And they had a very good win as well on Saturday. They won 2-0 away at Barnet. And again, Solihull, I mean, everyone looks at them as a small team, as a small team in terms of the, the, the ground and, and the crowds they get airing. But the resources they put in in terms of the playing side, it's bearing fruit now, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> really good manager. Neil Ardley's a, a brilliant manager. And they're, go, they're just going about their work quietly. You know, they they kind of t- was dipping in and out of the playoffs for a bit, not really looking like they're going to challenge, but just, just hanging around. And then all of a sudden, they've just gone on a run of... Con- it's, it's their home form. They, can, they just score so many goals at home. And then for, for me, I just look and think, if you catch them on the wrong day, you're going to get hiding. It's, it's as simple as that because they've got the firepower. Dallas and, and Sabaras, they almost take it in turns to see who's going to go and mm-hmm. go and get twos and threes, you know, or fours in, in some cases. You know, they, they've got a really, really good attacking attacking team. And I, I, I really think that they could potentially be the team that causes the biggest upset because... Like I say, they they're just gone about their work quietly. No one's really made too much fuss about them. But come playoffs, they're they're not a team that you want to face. Can I ask you, Aaron, about Aaron? Sorry, about um, Sabara because listen, you weren't the tallest of strikers as well, but you always had power and strength. Sabara physically doesn't have the height or the strength, and yet he's banged in 20 goals this season in a league that's tough to score in. Um, you must be impressed with that guy. Definitely. Definitely. He's he's just such an intelligent player. He's a player that I look at and think, you can go and play football league comfortably tomorrow. Um, 
he's just such an such an intelligent footballer, really, really good finisher, and his desire is is magnificent. That's that's possibly his biggest strength, his his desire to to go and score a goal. You know, he, he looks hungry. I watched him in the in the England C team as well, and you know, you could see he just wants to get a goal. He just wants to go and uh, go and score a goal. And when you've got that with the ability, and he's now got the trust of his teammates. His teammates want to get him the ball because they know what he's capable of. Really, really been impressed with him, and I think that. If Solihull don't go up, then if I'm a league club, I'm I'm sniffing around the, the likes of him because ability-wise, most definitely good enough to go and play League One tomorrow. Yeah, just I, I remember in the January transfer window, I, I saw lots of comments from um, Wrexham fans, obviously with uh, money burning a hole in their pocket. They were um, thinking about who they might bring in. And there seemed to be a lot of Wrexham fans who were very, very keen on Joe Spara. And it's not hard to see why when you see him play, you know, the point you made there, Rob, about, you know, his stature, I think we saw him outside getting his photograph taken for his England cap last week when we were in Carnarvon. I think both his mum and dad are both taller than him. (laughs) He really is quite (laughs) short, but, you know, no lack of ability there whatsoever. And and he seems to have found the perfect place for him at at, at Solihull at this point in his career. Neil Hardy puts a lot of trust in him um, and he's repaying him. Is there in the way if you are a smaller striker, Aaron, is there more determination because you're up against a big, burly centre-half and you think, I've got to do something different because I'm not going to win many headers against him? Yeah, well, I think you have to You have to find a way. You have to find what works for you. When I moved to Aldershot from, from Leighton Orient, I was slight, you know, I was, physically I wasn't where I ended up um, and I had to try and find a way to to manage that. How, how can I get the best out of myself and not get bullied by, by centre-halves? And I think playing at, at National League level definitely does that for you. You know, you're, up, you're coming up against these six-foot, three, four centre-halves and you have to find a way to be able to implement your game without being bullied. Ideally, if you can just move the ball quick enough to not be touched, that's the perfect scenario because no one wants to be touched by six-foot-four centre-halves. But... He's quite elusive in the positions that he takes up. He's very intelligent. And like I say, when it when it when he's in front of goal, he his execution of his finishes is first class. Yeah, another uh, another nice little anomaly from that game yesterday was it was it was Ryan Barnett's cross against Barnett, which fought an own goal from uh, Ben Richards Everton. So there we go. Uh, I know uh, I know Dickie would like something like that as well. <laughs> Is that a little bit of nominative determinism or something going on there? I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, he's in great form as well. Um, he, he's really enjoying his end of the season. I, I agree with Aaron as well. That when you look at that playoff picture, as much as everybody would, would, would say, if it is Stockport's title, then Wrexham are the outstanding team for the playoffs. If there is a team in there that can cause an upset, my money's on Solihull just because of the run they're on at the moment. Yeah, just behind them are Chesterfield. Uh, they got a, a massive win. I know it was all, people say, well, they only won at Wheelstone, but with the form they've been on there, and that, that is a massive win for them because they're in danger of just kind of slipping out of the playoffs, weren't they? Yeah, and they're just they're hanging in there. You know, again, I think I look at their dressing room and I obviously I know Curtis, Curtis Weston really well. And he'll be in there making sure that they they hang in there and, and they they, uh, they apply themselves properly in, in every game. When I watched the Chesterfield Bournemouth game, I think it was at Bournemouth, 
And I was, at halftime, I was really critical of both teams. I felt like both teams at the time were challenging to for top spot. You know, they were trying to catch catch the leaders and they gave such a poor showing of themselves. It wasn't a good representation of them, how, how far the National League's come. And I was really critical. For them to keep getting the wins with so many players missing and as anyone missing someone who scored 24 goals in 26 games in Shamanga, it's going to affect them. Um, I don't think, well, Joe Quigley obviously hasn't hasn't really found form. I know he, he got a goal yesterday, but he's really struggled and he's found himself out of the team. Um, Asante had been injured for a long time and he's still trying to find his, you know, a really consistent form, even though he's, I think he's one in two at the moment or just, just over. They've not really got that goal scorer who's going to score twos and threes week in, week out. So they're having to find different ways to, to win games. But yesterday was a huge win. You know, like you say, it is, it is against Wildstone, who on paper you expect them to win. But Wildstone have, have put in some really good performances this season. And they've beat a few a few teams that you say, oh, that's a, that's a good result. They're, they're a good outfit. You know, make no mistakes about it. They're, they're a difficult opponent to, to face. And for Chesterfield to come out of that with the three points will be a huge boost for them. And they now need to get some consistency going into the playoffs because you have got the likes of, of Solio consistent, whoever it is possibly going to be Wrexham consistent. You know, those teams are the, the teams that you have to fear most of all because it go, the teams going into the playoffs with form are most likely to, to end up in the final and, and potentially win it. So if you're wondering how players who are Muslim cope at this time of year because it's Ramadan, then Rob, sat down and had a good chat pre-match with all the top players, Cody Lyon-Foster and Mo Bettimer. No, we're, we're in Ramadan at the moment and uh, we're about a week in uh, and, and, and Cody and Mo, you're, you're, you're both Muslims. Talk to us a little bit about what it's like as a professional um, footballer um, trying to adapt so that you can cope with Ramadan and professional sport. Um, I think uh, when it comes to Ramadan, it's something that obviously us Muslims um, do every year. Um, and now obviously it's starting to come now fall into the football season and um, I think yes you know the, f- the first week is quite hard on our bodies but um, you know we, we end up getting used to it. I mean if you see the likes of you know the top professionals out there you know Mo Salah, Benzema you know the likes Kante Kante you know they they, they enjoy it and they, they perform week in week out at the top level so it doesn't give us any um reason or you know something like you know we just get on with the job with the job in hand and as i always say to myself it's always kind of had a mental battle i think a lot of it is just in the you know in the the strength in the head you know mental mentally and cody um does the majority of a footballer's week Mm -hmm. of course is training um do you have to make much adaptation at all to your routines during Ramadan or do you pretty much carry um, on? I think obviously for everyone it, doing during Ramadan, like most said, it's a tough time. I think it allows you to kind of focus more on your nutrition, um, focus more on hydration, kind of things like that. So you're, you're looking at things from more of an intense perspective. I think like most said, it's about being kind of mentally strong, mentally res- resilient to give 
to, to not give in to temptation and things like that because it is tough, you know, like when it's a hot day and, and things like that and if that's not until 10, 10 to 8, I think it's today, yeah, yeah. so it's, it's, it's tough, things like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a holy month, a month for, for reflection and, and to, to, to better ourselves really, yeah. What about the wider understanding, say, within football, Mo? Um, there's obviously a lot of focus on sports science and nutrition and everything else as well. Um, you, you, you're monitored on almost everything. Presumably, um, the indications that come from that would show if it's having a negative effect or not. Well, as I said, like for me personally, and I think with a lot of footballers that I've spoken to, um, the first week's always kind of hard because the body's kind of like adapted to the to the routine of what you've been eating and what time you're eating around etc so um when it comes into the football into football is um we've just got to kind of know how to maintain us work smart and working hard kind of thing no it's it's, it's definitely um uh, it's a positive no it's, it's a step in the right direction and there is I mean, part of the reason for having this chat is just to, to, to get greater awareness and there is a, a level an understandable level of ignorance out there a lot of people don't think that it's good but it's actually amazing for the body mm-hmm. I, as i understand it after about 10 hours of fasting your body starts to detox yeah. doesn't it um and of course one thing that's probably helped is the buzz around intermittent fasting in recent years um where people because they now know that's good for you they're starting to come around a little bit to thinking now oh, hang on a minute this mm. this isn't such a bad thing after all yeah no exactly i think like you said there's there's ignorance but i think along with ignorance comes a lack of awareness and obviously at the moment like you said there, there are people within the in the sport trying to raise more awareness for for kind of smaller minorities whether it be muslims or be hindu sikhs all sorts you know you've got great people within the the football world um Nudrum sports they're, they're, they're one of the, the kind of up-and-coming people that are really helping muslim footballers obviously you've got a former co- colleague of ours Amaudin, who's doing a lot for kind of diversity for for asian footballers for muslim footballers which, which is great to see really and i must say rob that was a fascinating chat and uh, well done on that one really good insight into that uh, ironically neither of them played really but some of that down do you think to maybe Matt Mosley thinking they're going to run out of energy a little bit well I'm not sure to be fair Mo Silla played the whole game he's fasting he's a Muslim and and uh, I don't know if you caught it but although he wasn't named in the original started lineup Cody Lyons Foster did play the entire 90 minutes because Corey Jordan pulled out with a slight niggle in the warm-up and Cody Lyons Foster was fantastic yesterday um, you know, Mo, Mo, Mo didn't get to, uh, to, to to play much of a part, but um, no, it's fascinating talking to them and seeing how they uh, how, how they plan for it, how they cope with it. And I think sports science has advanced a long, long way. You know, if you look at say from the, the years Aaron when you were playing and now, but you've only got to look as um, I think Mo Betterman alluded to. You've only got to look at the likes of the top end of the game, like, mm. you know, like Mo Salah and Golo Kante. What an example they're setting because they're still playing the highest level. Um, w- would you say it's probably more important in the recovery area with, with this sort of thing? I don't know if you've come across it that much. Well, I, I came across it. The, the first time I was really aware of it was was my time at Hull. Um, Abdullahi El Mahamadi. Were, were all, you know, they were Muslims and, and they, they'd, they'd be fasting and still playing games. Um, I think it's, what, what I was really impressed with was, was Steve Bruce, the way that Steve Bruce managed it. You know, he spoke to the lads, he found out what they needed, how they needed to, to manage it in terms of their eating and drinking and in terms of their prayers as well. You know, I think a good understanding 
understanding and communication is is key in this because the, the players know what they need to do. The players have been through this season after season. They know their bodies. They know what what they can and can't do. And I think for, for everyone else, it's all about learning. It's all about listening, learning from, from those who are involved in it and trying to improve ourselves. You know, it's it's amazing what they do. You know, it's amazing that they're able to to starve their bodies and and still go out and put in performance after performance, week in, week out. I think for, for everyone, it's all about learning. Like you said, the sports science in football has, has improved hugely from, from my time in playing and it's continuing to improve. And the more we listen, the more we get out of the ignorance of, of learning about new cultures and, and we listen to, to those involved, the better it's going to be for, for everyone. But unbelievable, unbelievable. Rob, quickly then, fantastic win for Aldershot, wasn't it? Yeah, it was massively, mass, massively needed for Aldershot. They were good value for the win on the day. Uh, huge relief around the ground. Um, but listen, um, I, t- I tell you who summed it up really, really well, and honestly, as he always does, and that's the Borehamwood manager, Luke Garrard, who I caught up with afterwards. Two out-of-form sides, it's fair to say, coming together at the EBB, wasn't it? You, you, you've not had the best of months or so coming into the game, and ultimately um, it proved to be the case. Aldershot somehow managed to get themselves the win, and uh, for you, uh, you know, what's your reaction? I know you aren't pleased with your team's performance today. I wouldn't say somehow got the win. They put their bodies on the line. They blocked with an intent. They had an attitude towards defending. They were high-fiving each other after every tackle and header. And no disrespect, that's exactly what you need in a relegation battle. Um, I've watched the games. I've all shot unfortunately against EC last week. And they get the rubber to green being Eastley. We've hit the post. Does it change the outlook of the game? Of course it does. Why? Because I think that you go within yourself. The fact we then go and get the equaliser... I then tell the group, stay in the game because the last 10 minutes is going to be massive. And we don't. We get in a position where our gaps are too big. They, You guys win the first header. Jolly and Jolly uh, striker does fantastic to pin. Then they slide up the side of us. You counter quicker than we recover. That's unfortunate for us. But no disrespect, you can't recover in the manner in which we did. And you can get the goal deservedly. You hold out with, I think it was three or four blocks. The keeper's done fantastic on a couple of claims. But yeah, my biggest bugbear is... The fans have come, they've travelled, we've given them nothing again. That's nine games now, Rob, where mm. people are asking me about my future. Are you gonna? And I'm thinking, no disrespect, other people will be getting the sack by now. And mm. I've got to question myself, not the players, myself, where we're going wrong because the buck stops at me. I know you'll have analysed that an awful lot, Luke, and you'll still be searching for those answers, but um, you've always been little old unfashionable Boreham Wood, and that tag sort of suited you, didn't it? Particularly on the FA Cup run, etc., um, is it a question of a bit of human nature creeping in and, and those players have just got to remind themselves from whence they came? I keep keep bringing that up. I keep stressing it. We have the F attitude. You can imagine what the F stands for. Mm. We had that from the offset, from the start of the season. We do what we do. We do the basics. We go and do it right. If you ask any manager in the division what our sort of stamp is, it would be well-drilled, organised, shut the gaps, win seconds, pin you in. And we've come away from that. And I've got to look at why we've come away from that. Has it been too similar to personnel being utilised and willed out? Are they getting tired? But no disrespect that we haven't had it full and f- too much in terms of the games coming in. We have a break now where we go Monday, uh, Friday, Monday. But yeah, I've got to look at myself. I've got to look at what I'm doing in terms of the organisational side of things. My 
um, organisation in terms of training on a match day, but look, I've been in it seven years now. I'm up to 350 games, <laughs> and for me, it's I can see it. I just need to implement it. Can I ask about Josh Reese? He's someone that I know a little bit, and and uh, you know he's been very supportive of the podcast as well. It was an unfortunate injury today. Um, looked like a shoulder injury. Any early news? Possibly collarbone. Um, obviously he went down, held it initially, then tried to play on with two, three minutes, but signaled to the bench he was struggling. I've got to be honest with you, he's, he's can't drive home, so we've got him that support to try and get him back to his area. Um, he'll obviously have to be X-rayed, which he'll do, and then we'll get a bit more feedback after the after the initial X-ray. So we're hoping it's just more muscular as opposed to a broken collarbone, but. He's in some pain, which is a shame for Joshy, especially towards the back end of the season. Um, but yeah, that's that's a real big hit for us because he's been, he has been good. He is your one in three, one in four centre midfielder, and that's going to be a loss for us for the remainder of the season. Well, brilliant, Luke. Really appreciate you joining us, especially after um, a difficult afternoon for you. But keep doing what you do and keep doing it with the grace that you do it with. Legend, mate. So that was Luke Garrard, honest as always, and. Aaron, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a pro footballer, but just listening to his interview, he's, he's somebody I'd want to play for because he's critical, but in a, in a positive way. And he also puts the blame on himself, saying, "Look, I, I know I've managed loads of games for him, but equally, I've got to look at myself." And he said that any other club, he might have been sacked by now with the run that run. But he's got so much credit in the bank for what he's done. He seems such an inspiring manager. He's got credit in the bank, and deservedly so. You know what he's done at Bournemouth. Has, has been nothing short of, of magnificent. They're, yes, they're going through, through a bad spell and unfortunately for them, it's, it's at the wrong time. But I think, again, you have to put things in perspective. They're, the size of the club, the, the budget that they've got, um, they've overachieved. And if he, was, if, if he had been sacked, it would be because he's a some of his own success. They've, they've massively over, overachieved mm. and he's a brilliant manager, brilliant man. Um, he is always positive, which is something I love. Listen, this will be hurting him. You know, this this run that they're on will be hurting him, but it just seems like since the Everton defeat, once they went out of the FA Cup, it just seems like they're now struggling to get going again. They've not won a game in eight and they're really struggling to, to transform that form that they had whilst they was on the FA Cup run, to now just concentrating on the playoffs. And they've had to consistently change their mindset because they're focusing on going far in the FA Cup. Once that comes to an end, they're then going from challenging for being champions to now challenging to just be in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. As a player, it's, it's difficult. And if mentally you're not strong enough to be able to deal with that, it's going to have an effect and it's having an effect on, on that team at the moment, but they need to find a way to get back to winning ways. If they're able to find that win, mm-hmm. then I'm sure that they'll be able to, to put a run together. Yeah. They, they've got two games in hand on the teams above them and they are four points outside the playoffs. 11 points with Dagenham who are on the, and who are also four points off the last playoff spot, which is occupied by Grinsby above them. Is Notts County. Funny day for both Notts County and Grimsby. Grimsby had a great win at Chesterfield last week, then followed it up with a nil-nil down at struggling Weymouth. And Notts County got absolutely stuffed 5-1 at Torquay. Connor Lemahey Evans hat-trick there. And first, 
think that's his first ever hat trick for Turkey, which is a bit of a surprise. And then Armani Little with a bit of blingy got a couple of goals as well. And it's weird because there's a lot of pressure on Ian Birchnell. That's their first defeat in five games. But equally, I don't know. I think a lot of Notts County fans think they're still underachieving a little bit. Well, you look at what what they've got at their disposal and the size of the club. Another club that has huge expectation. You know, they expect to be getting promoted back into the Football League. And I think it doesn't matter who's in charge. They, that's what they want. And if you come in and you, you take the reins, you have to get that club promoted because they're, they're too big to be out of the Football League. But it's not that easy. You know, as we've seen, there's, there's probably four or five clubs that all think exactly the same. And there's only two places up for grabs. So... He's going to be under pressure. That uh, defeat yesterday was was a crushing defeat, really. You know, way it, it upset the whole the whole script because they've been playing well, they've they've been scoring freely, and to go and lose in that manner, mm-hmm. will any manager will mm-hmm. be under pressure? But again, they've got two two strikers in in Rodriguez and, and in Wooten who are able to to be able to carry that team through, and Roberts. You know, obviously Roberts released something I think last week saying that there's no issue with with him and Birchnell, um, and he's working hard to try and get back in in the team. So when he comes back, they're they're a totally different team because he's a he's a class class operator. Yeah, Luke, I watched the I watched the first sort of ten seconds of the interview with Ian Birchnell, and the the um, the reporter asks him. He says, uh, "That's a day for, to forget, isn't it, Ian?" And he says, "No." He says, "We should," and I'll quote him. We said, "We should keep this in our heads for having for when we decide not to turn up for a game." And that they were his first. They were his first words. I didn't watch the rest of the interview. I didn't need to know anything else because that said exactly how we felt about that. <laughs> I didn't pull any punches by the sounds of it in that interview. Looking at the playoff spots, and I know on this podcast, we've all been guilty of it, Chris, Dickie, Rob, of, of writing off Torquay and Dagenham are going, well, I think that's it for them. Uh, all of a sudden, Dagenham, as we say, are the four points off the playoffs, 11 points with Grimsby. They got a 2-0 win away at Bromley. And Torquay, now that's four wins in five with that win over Knox County. And, um, I said, well... <laughs> We clearly can't write off Dagenham and Torquay, can we, Aaron? We, we definitely can't write them off. And that's been the beauty of the season so far is teams have come in and out of form at different times and, you know, those positions are cho- constantly chopping and changing. Dagenham were my tip at the beginning of the season to be the dark horses because I just, I love how Dale McMahon works. I love how he sets up his teams and they... They're, they're my kind of team. They go and score lots of goals and they're very attacking. Unfortunately for them, it's been consistency. You know, they've they've not been consistent this season. And when they go through a bad patch, it's a bad, bad patch. Similar to Grimsby. You know, Grimsby were top of the division, ended up falling all the way outside of the playoffs because they just fell off a cliff. But they've all of a sudden got it back together. Torquay have been the late ones. And Torquay could be the ones that cause the biggest problem. They'll still be hurting. I think they had the hangover from the playoff final last year. Um, and it's taken them a while to get going. But their form's been brilliant. That that win yesterday was a massive statement of intent from, from Gary Johnson's team that they're not to be ignored. And I think that they 
they could be in the shake-up come at the end of the season. So, and Luke, and what I would say, I know we've moved on from talking about Boreham Wood, but Boreham Wood are still there. And I'll tell you why I still think they're still there and they've still got a chance, despite the run that they've been on, is they still don't concede many goals at all. Apart yeah. from the, the game after the FA Cup, when they got beat 4-2 by Wrexham, like a lot of teams have, they've conceded very few goals. So it's just about getting them scoring again. And if they can, you know, if they can start nicking a few one nils and stuff like that, they've got two games in hand on Grimsby. Mm. Chris, so just on that, the, yeah. the only thing I worry about Wood is their goal score, their goal conversion. You know, I look through their team. Bowden isn't going to, you know, he doesn't score regularly enough for me. Tyro Marsh doesn't score regularly. You're looking at Josh Rees, who's scoring goals from, you know, I think he's got eight eight goals in the in the league this year. I I think when I can compare them to other teams in, in the playoffs, that's where they, they fall short is on that on that one-off game, have you got the firepower to be able to go and score twos and threes and that's where I think that they're they're struggling because you're right, they don't concede many goals. Clean sheets are, have been brilliant. Yeah, I absolutely completely agree with you. Um, and when they were winning, it was by single goal margins and uh, it was by goal, you know, late goals and things like that. And it's, as you say, it's, it's whether you can tweak that dial, isn't it? Whether you can tweak that dial from a maybe a more defensive performance, mm-hmm. just turn it up slightly. And if you do turn it up slightly... Do you then concede at the back? You know, I think it, it depends on which side of the fence you fall on. I always fall on, right, Who's have you got the goal scorers? Have you got the match winners in your team? And yeah. if you've got the match winners, you know, you're, you're laughing because especially in my time at Peterborough, that's what we was based on. We were based on making sure that we go and outscore anyone. And you see them with Wrexham especially, that's what they're having to do to win games because they are conceding goals. But... They've got the firepower to be able to do it. Um, I'm not in the defensive mindset, unfortunately. That's because you wouldn't want to play in that team, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. Bromley then, Aaron, in 11th place. Again, they're another team with two games in hand and nine points off the playoffs. But they're in another terrible run, aren't they? And and as I say, they lost to Dagenham and Redbridge at home at can we rule them out for the playoffs or, or because of the two games in hand, do you think they could go again or are they just going to concentrate on the trophy now, do you think? Well, I think the tro- getting to the trophy final was was massive for them, you know, because they've they've got that that day at the end of the season to to go and go and enjoy for, for the players and for the fans. They're, they're another one that's kind of fallen off the cliff. I think when the manager had the interest from Gillingham, I think it definitely affected the whole structure. Um, of the team, whether it was the players knowing whether or not he's going to be staying or going, or something, something definitely changed because they were they were magnificent up to that point, and and the manager was getting all the plaudits and rightly so. I, I don't think you can rule them out. I think that they've, they're still another team that, if they can find form again, are a problem. You know, they overachieved last year, and I thought that this year they were. It was almost like an expectance to get in the playoffs. With the way that they were playing, they they had a period where they lost a few players and were having to play the youngsters, but the youngsters were stepping up. You know, Sablier especially 
was was really impressive for for a period. Um, and they've got Michael Cheek, who knows knows where the back of the net is. So I don't think you can write them off. But at the moment, they wouldn't be a team that I'd be. I wouldn't be putting them in my playoff playoff pack if I was to to pick it now. And don't make me pick it, by the way. No, I won't do. Don't worry. I'm going to put the pressure on you. <laughs> Judging by our predictions, it can't be much worse, to be fair. Down at the bottom, as we mentioned, massive win for Altshot over Boreham Wood. Because Kingsland, as we mentioned, beat Bromley during the week to move within five points of Aldershot. Kingsland got a draw against Yeovil. They were 2-1 up until the last minute and Yeovil pegged them back. And they had a draw against Dover last week as well, Kingsland. So they got five points out of these last three games. And I know, Dickie, we mentioned, I mentioned it last week, didn't we, in, in the pod about they'll feel like it's two points dropped against Dover. And, and considering how Saturday went, they could have had seven points on the board, really put pressure on Aldershot. But ultimately, that point, or those two points he drops against Dover, may now prove costly. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. Um, but you look at the way Dover are playing. I've been really impressed with Dover because they've just... They just keep going. You know, they don't, they they haven't gone into the games and just said, right, we're down and we're just going to give up. They've gone and they're trying to give the fans something to cheer about, something to take from this season. So that draw isn't necessarily a bad, bad result, you know, even though on paper it, it looks terrible. But mm. I feel like Kings in a, they're, they're still going. They're still going. They're still in with a shout. All the shots win mm. yesterday was mm. was brilliant in giving them that little uh, that slight gap, but I don't think Kings in are going to go away. I think they're going to keep going. I think that this one could go all the way to to the wire because they've they've totally changed. Earlier in the season, they would they would have lost lost mm. that game, and now their mindset seems to have changed. They seem to have just something to hang on to, and whilst there's still a chance. They'll, they'll keep going. I was just laughing because about the uh, the Kings Lynn thing because about three weeks ago I, I was saying to Rob, you know, you've got nothing to worry about. You, you're 10 points clear, you're 11 points clear, whatever it was of those three teams, you're going to be fine. And then I saw Aldershot a couple of weeks ago altering him and I thought, they're never going to score an, another goal. <laughs> I can't see where, where that's coming from. So, and I think the sort of release of emotion from, from Aldershot fans yesterday was... Mm. Um, was because of the run that Kings Lynn have been on and that you know the nerves that and the pressure that that Kings Lynn have, have been putting on them. What I would say about Kings Lynn's result yesterday yesterday against Yeovil, I think they have to look at that that that's a point gained because Yeovil have been on a good run as well recently and yep. uh, whilst they didn't get the three points that they would have they would have liked that's still another another point closer. Dick, yeah, tough running though for Kings Lynn, haven't they? Yeah, it is. I was going to say there also, to be to be fair to Rob, even when we tried to assure him that Aldershot were probably safe, he wasn't having any of it. Um, I'm guessing that's probably many years of watching Aldershot that's, that's conditioned him that way. But uh, no, he, he didn't feel that they were safe. I've just had a quick look at Kings Lynn's running. They've got four of their last six away uh, from home. Uh, they've got to, uh, they've got Grimsby at home. They've got Eastley at home, but they've got to go to Woking, Wealdstown, Dagenham and Notts County. Um not the toughest, but not the easiest of of run-ins. But yeah, I I, I agree. I, they'll keep going. I mean, it's that sense of what what choice do they have? You know, they'll keep fighting right to the very end. The caveat to that as well is, is if they're playing a team in the playoffs or already in the playoffs, you know, they might rest a few players, and it 
gives Kingsley maybe a chance to catch each team's cold while they're concentrating on the playoffs. We're just at that point of the season where, you know, anything can happen because, you, you know, I always, teams towards the bottom of the table um, do start picking up results towards the end. I think perhaps because they look over their shoulder and they can see all of a sudden that that danger, which has always been in their mind, is all of a sudden, I guess it's a bit like being chased by a shark. You know, you're, you're paddling for the for the boat and the shark's closing in on you. And, the, and the, the closer it gets, the faster you paddle. And I think there's a little bit of that going on with teams at the bottom, probably in all three divisions at the moment. What would you say, Aaron? And you say all the shark paddling away to save you, or is a shark going to catch him? Well, I'm hoping that they, they get to safety, obviously. Um, I was having this uh, discussion with, with Chris Hargreaves yesterday because obviously his lad is at, mm. um, at Kings Lynn. Obviously, I'm I'm in in the older shot corner. I want older shot to to get to safety, and I'd like them to to get some stability. And I think Sally can. I think they they've got the manager to do that, but I think it it's, it needs a it needs a few changes. I think the recruitment's going to be huge in the summer if, if they manage to survive. But fingers crossed. Fingers crossed they do. Yeah, Rob stood on the beach with a rope ready to drag that boat in away from the shark, <laughs> isn't he, I think? <laughs> he used to wait till they get on the boat first. Yeah. <laughs> Real. Well, uh, th- thanks for joining us, Rob. Yeah, pleasure as always. Thanks for coming on, Aaron. Look no after problem. yourself. See you soon. Aaron, uh, thanks very much for joining us. It's amazing uh, to give up your time for us today and, and really enjoyed your company. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Well, as you know, we've teamed up with Manscaped and we're going to bring you now our Manscaped moment of the week. And Chris, I know you want to give a shout out to the South End fans as yours. Yeah, I absolutely do. Because when you travel that far up to Stockport County, the, the leaders and you get smashed 5-0 and you don't have a shot and you carry on singing for the whole game and you carry on backing your side the whole time. They were magnificent. They are my Manscaped moment of the week. Well, they might have had a few shots of the spirit variety, but not uh, <laughs> not any on target in terms of yeah from their team. And uh, Dicky, I know I know yours is quite an unusual one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, there was I suppose there might have been two or three contenders. I'm going to pick mine from the north, seeing as that's um, um, my specialty. Um, I could have gone for George Willis, the uh, Overton keeper, saving two penalties in their game. Um, that, that was pretty special. And it was a nice moment at Kidderminster as well. Cliff Moyo, who's been injured virtually all season after a ruptured Achilles, scoring their sixth goal in a 6-0 win. But now I'm going to go for one at the game I was actually at. Um, uh, we had the assistant referee, uh, Lewis Martin, um, got injured in the 23rd minute of the game. Um, an appeal went out for a qualified official in the crowd. And who should step forward but none other than Chris O'Donnell, brother of JJ O'Donnell from Blythe Spartans, who he happened to be playing. So we had um, his brother on the field and uh, Chris on the touchline. Um, terrific that he did step forward. He is a qualified official. He does referee in National League South. Um, uh, he had his children with him. Uh, and, you know, we were, we were there at the, at the time going, you know, how unusual is this? And um, at the same time, the commentary team from BBC Radio Shropshire along from us said the same things just happened in the Shrewsbury Town Ipswich game, which was being covered on the FM channel. So, yeah, a bizarre goings on in, in Shropshire yesterday. But, yeah, I'm going to make that my manscaped moment of the week. Let's hope he didn't give any uh, decisions against his brother, eh? 
No, he didn't have an awful lot to do, to be fair. I, I, I think at a point, I think a, a couple of more people did come forward. I think some a Blythe fan did come forward. I think Paul Carden suggested me that he'd had to pop his pint and his pie down in order to run round to the halfway line to say, I'll do it. Somebody from the board at Blythe put their name forward as well. But um, by a strange quirk, Paul Carden, although he doesn't know Chris O'Donnell, was actually aware of him because Paul Carden and JJ O'Donnell were once teammates at Luton Town. So he didn't have any issue with him uh, taking the flag, even though his brother was on the field. He didn't have really any contentious decisions to call. Um, I, I think the biggest problem to the afternoon might have been the pair of uh, borrowed boots that Telford gave him. I gather they were a little bit tight on him um, and he might have been walking slightly awkwardly after the game. But uh, no, hats off to him for taking over. I said to him at the end of the game, without, without officials, we have no game. So uh, hats off to him. And that was our Manscaped moment of the week. And you can get the package that we all got as well. Within it, you'll find the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserve ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. It's not just for men as well. Ladies, you can also use the lawnmower 4.0 and get the whole package as well. You can get 20% off at Manscaped plus free shipping if you enter our promo code NLFullTime at manscaped.com. So we're going to move on and look at the National League South. And joining us to look over that is the former Hungerford Town Manager, Ian Herring. Hello, Ian. Hi, Luke. Thanks for having me again. Oh, great to have you. And it's uh, really interesting up at the top of the National League South. I was just looking at Maidstone's form over the last 10 games. They've won eight, lost two. They won again on Saturday. 2-1 away at Chippenham, which is always a tough place to go. Uh, one Luke on the score sheet again, Jerome and Williams opening the scoring. And would you say Maidstone? Would are you going to put your uh, your flag in the sand and declare Maidstone champions? There's the throw away, really, isn't it? At the moment, um, five games to go. I think they've won their last five as well. So they've mm. um, they've hit a purple patch um, right just at the right time, so to speak. Um, Dawkins' form of late hasn't been of great. Has that coincided with losing uh, Matt Briggs, who, who's been instrumental for them, really? So they're probably their only challenges now. And um, yeah, Maidstone's to throw away. I know we had Joe Pope from the Off the Line blog on last week. He said about Hacken Herrett and said, I think at the end of last season, if you let me build my team, we'll be successful. And you've been given time because they have underachieved the last couple of seasons, haven't you? And a lot of people have sort of questioned whether Hakan Hiretan is the right man, but he signed a contract recently as well and it looks like the club's going in the right direction again. Yeah, it's a huge club, the crowds they get, um, and they, they, they shouldn't be in this division, really. They should be um, in the one above. Obviously, John Steele was there some time ago and they'd probably be in full-time as well, whether they are fully full-time or sort of a blend, if that makes sense. Then, then yeah, they've probably been underachieving for quite some time, but... Um, I think there were sort of mixed feelings when Hakan took over. Kev Watson actually knows him really well and um, he's done an excellent job. He's got a good football pedigree and they're, they're sitting pretty at the top of the table. And I think what you touched on there, every manager needs a bit of time at any level. And unfortunately, managers don't really get it at the majority of clubs. So, yeah, it's good to see that he, he's, he's, um, he's been given that time he needs and this bearing fruit. Third place at Dartford, six points behind Dawkins, 13 points behind Maidstone. They drew 1-1 with Hemel Hempstead. They needed an injury time equaliser from Marcus Denanga to get them a point at home to Hemel Hempstead. And 
their focus now will be concentrating on staying in third place and getting that home tie in the playoffs, won't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, a, it's probably a vital point at this stage of the season, keeps them two points above Ebbsfleet. But um, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it, the playoffs? I don't know what I'd personally prefer as a, a, as a manager or um, um, player. Obviously, you want the home advantage, yes. But being in those two teams where you have the week off or do you want to continue just to play mm. in, the, in the fourth to seventh positions, play, play, play? I don't know. It's, um, it's a bit of a difficult one. But yeah, any club, you want to win every game and take that, take that form into, into the playoffs. Yeah, they've got the most draws in the top seven, I have that. For, but Dickie Marcus Denanger, I mean, he's had a difficult time really over the last couple of seasons, but he seems to really hit form down at Dartford. He does, yeah. He seems he seems very uh, at home there at the moment, and uh, it, it's always been my feeling it just needed a manager who shows faith in him and lets him, you know, says you're my main man and and plays him, and uh, you know he's rewarding Steve King at the moment. Um, I, just sort of like having a look at things. I think Dartford, I think play Maidstone next Monday, um, which is a, a a big game for both yeah. sides there, obviously. Yeah, and it's an interesting point you make about the playoffs, Ian. I tell you what, I suppose if you're full-time, do you want to have the full week off to prepare? And I suppose if you're part-time, it's just kind of, well, let's just keep going and, and, and playing in a way. I mean, like you say, it's an interesting conundrum to have, isn't it? Difficult, isn't it? Half the week, you don't know who you're going to be playing if you're in the top two spots. So, yeah, you can go and watch the games if possible and stuff like that and prepare players, perhaps rest and get over a few niggles and stuff like that. But from from sort of the player's perspective, we all love playing games and I've, I don't know, it's, it's, it is a difficult one. You want to be playing, playing, playing. That's my feelings of it. And if you can, um, if you can get into, into that fourth to seventh on a good run of form and carry that in, there's no reason why you can't, you can't take that all the way, in my opinion. Um, many years ago, I might have touched on it before, Bath City won their last 10 games 10 games um, of the season, nicked in on the last day by one point and ended up going up. Mm. So, um, yeah, form going into them, I think, is, is the most important thing. Between third and sixth, it just, just separated by four points, Dartford and Oxford City. And between them are Ipswich and Eastbourne Borough. And Eastbourne Borough drew 2-2 at Slough. They've been on a good run have Eastbourne Borough, but Slough always a, a tough place to go. They were 2-1 up through Chris Weltdale and Charlie Kendall. Curtis Cumberbatch it was who got the equaliser in the end. And I suppose away from home, Ian, it's all, Rob always says it, never, never turned down a point away from home, even though they would have been 2-1 up and disappointed not to have seen a game out. Yeah, definitely. So it's, it's a hard place to go, Slough. They haven't had um, a great season, but the points total is still quite good. Um, yeah, Eastbourne are flying really. I think they're um one five and drawn one in the last six. Um, they're sitting uh, they're sitting pretty up in fifth, so tough place to go. Slough, yeah, two one up. You'd hope they, they could see the team out as a manager, but um, they haven't. And I'm sure point away from home at Slough, you'd have taken that before the day started. Danny Bloor's gonna done a great job, hasn't he, down at Eastbourne Borough? Yeah, definitely. Um, when I was at Hungerford, they were sort of one of the teams that were in and around us towards the bottom of the table. And um, you see where they are now. I think they've been 
gradually getting better and better and better as the season's gone on. So yeah, he's do, he's doing a wonderful job, and Eastbourne be delighted where they where they are sitting in the table at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just behind that, as we mentioned, and look at the scorers for Ebsley. There's so much experience in that side. They won four two at Welling. Alex Finney, Rakesh Bingham, Shaquille Colthurst, Dominic Polion all scoring. There's some real experience in that, and that could. Stand him in good stead in the playoffs, couldn't it? Yeah, another full-time team. Um, their their form's been a bit been a bit um, up and down as of late, but um, yeah, they they've got experience. They've got quality throughout their team. Um, by all accounts, they play play in a very good way. Um, so yeah, the, those playoff positions are really tight, and the couple of bad results you're dropping out of them. Couple of good results, you you you're right up in them, sort of thing. So, but Ebbsfleet has cemented their place, and they'll be looking to. I'm sure they'll be looking to kick on to get um, second or third to get their home advantage. Yeah, well, it's funny you mentioned about a couple of good results either way, because Dulwich Hamlet were in the playoffs, a couple of bad results for them, and they've dropped out. They lost two 0 at home to Oxford City, who needed a win after. a uh, a couple of bad results. Zach McCracker and brother of Josh, of course, and Joe Akafano on the score sheet once again. And a good recovery for Oxford City. As I said, they've had a difficult couple of weeks, but that'll be a big relief to them. Yeah, again, with a bit of up and down form, they've obviously lost their manager, David Oldfield, and but the the caretaker that took over, they they sort of were still doing really well up in and around the playoffs. Just tailed off a little bit, which is um, which is natural, I think. But they they'll be looking to, to sort of find their form and and try and nick in those and try and stay in those playoff positions as well. They're a good side. They do, I've said it numerous times. They do things right off the pitch. Now that's taken a while. Their stability again. When I was at Hungerford, they were. The team that was in and around us towards the bottom, um, and I think it, it just goes to show teams like Oxford, Hungerford, how they're doing now. When when there's stability off the pitch, it just shows what what can be done on it. And um, yeah, it's good to see Oxford up there. Interestingly, Dickie as well. Penundia uh, could be Frogtown City if they don't go up. There's rumours they could move north, couldn't they? It's been spoken about, certainly. Um, I think Banbury United, we know, um, uh, are going to be promoted. So um, I think there's speculation that Banbury would, would go into the north as well. I think some of this, is, this hinges on what happens to Kings Lynn Town. If they come down, I think Kings Lynn would be potentially positioned in the north. It's, it, it's looking like um, there's going to be perhaps more places required in the south and there is in the north so that might require a shuffle um you know you look at oxford and look at where they're placed geographically and then think potentially they might be going to live spartans if they were to stay up or south shields if they'd come up it, it just baffles you how it, it, it it's a, a northern division but you know the, the the line the split between the two has to be put in somewhere um and yeah it, it's quite possible that they, they could be shifted and Ian, that would scupper kind of their progression over the last couple of years, wasn't it? Having to go north because you'd have to go into a different pool of players. You've got extra travelling as well. It, it would harm them. Yeah, it's it? difficult. It's difficult. Gloucester have always been a club that have sort of gone gone back and forth from the two. And I, I'm not. I'm unsure, but I think there might be some sort of rule that if you if you've moved, you can't move again for another couple of years. But. That, that can create its own problems. Unfortunately, if you're based in and around that area, then it's liable to happen and you have to have the same teams in the same, same number of teams in each league. So, yeah, it's difficult. Like you say, you're, you're, you're probably 
player recruitment, you're going up towards Birmingham sort of way to, mm. to, to bring the players down rather than the, the southern players might not want to play. But essentially, a lot of players at this level know what they sign up for and, and the travelling for the players won't be won't be too much of a thing, bad thing. But um, for the club, yeah, added expense, I suppose. Oxford City are 10 points clear of that last playoff spot and it's up for grabs. There's only four points between the last playoff spot and all the way down to Hampton and Richmond and even Hemel Hempstead down in 11th and 12th. St Albans occupy that last playoff spot. Currently, they've been on a horrendous run, but they got a much-needed win against another fellow playoff rival in Hungerford. Bailey Brown got the first goal on at 53 minutes and then Callum Adibayi got a second for Ian Allington's men. And you look at the table, Ian, and it's so, so tight. Like you say, a couple of results either way and all of a sudden you shoot into the playoffs. Certainly, it's it's kind of looking like there's about five or six teams going for that last playoff spot now. And the next few weeks are going to be really important. Definitely. All the way down to Hemel, you'd probably say realistically have a chance, whether Slough or Concord secretly think they might be able to get in. Who knows? But um, Chippenham have just, the, the manager's just left Chippenham, whether he's sacked or, or what, I don't know. And, and they're sitting sort of four points off the playoffs, which is, Seems bonkers to let a manager go at this stage of the season where they are, but um, but yeah, it's tough. You you you, you get on a good run, then you're right up there, and you lose a couple, and and you drop out of them. It's the it's the competitive nature of the league. Um, Hungerford would be extremely disappointed with with the home defeat yesterday, but um, there's a big six games to go, and it's, it turns into a mini league really of six games, and you you get to the top of that. That mini league from those positions, seven to thirteenth in six games, and then you're in there. Uh, Dickie, I know, I know you've uh, you're saying about the playoffs and stuff, and how exciting it is in both divisions. Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously the north is the one that I I look at more closely, but yeah, just looking down the south table there, I mean, yeah, all the way down to Hemel Hempstead in thirteenth on forty four. They're only four points shy of St Albans in the last playoff place, um, and you know when when the decision was made to extend the playoffs to six teams, you know, rather than just cutting off at the team that finished fifth, bringing in sixth and seventh and having almost this kind of qualifying round. I think there probably were some some disgruntlement at the time. Um, but, you know, it's keeping interest alive for teams pretty much down to the halfway point of the league, probably right until the last weekend of the season. And um, I, I don't know, I think fans would pre- probably prefer that than, you know, to think that with five, six, seven games of the season to go, that, you know, the playoff places are done and dusted. If you, Certainly, if it was the case, and if you were looking at the north, I'd think the top five are absolute shoe-ins. Um, one to go up automatically and four to be in the playoffs now. And you'd almost be as good as saying that, that it's over, um, but it's not. It's going to continue for a number of weeks yet. And um, I think that justifies the decision, really. Yeah, I agree, Dickie. I think it's one of the, one of the very good things the National League have done. It's um, some years ago, coming towards the end of the season, teams mid-table, nothing to play for. They're not exactly um, great spectacles so for the clubs, but also for the supporters playing their money. There's a lot more games going into the latter stages of the season with something on them. So, yeah, it, it, it keeps the season alive for, alive for a lot more teams. Do you think with, I mean, we've mentioned this a lot of the time, somebody with having a lot of Louisville's, experience, do you think they're the ones who could sneak in at last playoff place or do you think they could miss out on some like 
hunger for the looks at the apple cart and get in there and compete in the playoffs. I think it's a bit of a lottery, isn't it? Like, to be honest, even now, um, going to get in them, and then once you're in them, it's a lottery again, isn't it? It's 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 all the a lot of their form is somewhat inconsistent. Um, so yeah, it's it's I suppose it's down to who's going to hold their nerve, and you think someone like. Haven't and Waterlooville have got the experience and the know-how to, to to get them in on the last day of the season, but form's everything. And and six games to go, you really got to really got to sort of get get a three, four, five wins under your belt. Because um, I think I think there is going to be one one team that goes gets five, maybe six wins and gets in there. Down at the bottom is just as tight, isn't it? Ian Billericay, they lost two 0 away at Hampton and Richmond. Borough, who we mentioned, could be an outside shot for the playoffs. Wasim Urashia gave them the lead on nine minutes. David Fisher with a penalty on 32 minutes. And then both sides had a man sent off at the same time. Looks like it could have been a few fisticuffs there, it's fair to say. Henry Oshieng and Alan Julian, the goalkeeper at Hampton, they saw their marching orders. Uh, also down at the bottom, as we mentioned, well into Connebsley and lost. Gelsford and Tunbridge, they, they cancelled each other out. They got a point. In the end, and Bath are down there as well. They're not safe either, are they? And they lost 3-1 away at Concord. I mean, realistically, do you think it's between Billericay and, and Wellin? Or, or do you think Chelmsford are, uh, are in there as well? I know Dickie mentioned last week that Billericay and Chelmsford play each other, I think, on Easter Monday. So that could be a huge game, couldn't it, in the relegation battle? Definitely. It's, um, it, it, I think Bath, Bath will still be looking over their shoulders to be honest, um, but I think they'll have enough to stay up. Chelmsford are a big worry, although they've drawn their last two, so they've picked up two vital points there. But um, it's a big weekend, Easter weekend. Mm. A few years ago, we um, at Hungerford, we had Bath on the, Easter, on the Easter Monday, picked up a draw, went away to Torquay and got a win. So that was four massive points and meant we stayed in the league. So it's um, two games in quick succession. If you can get... A, put a win and a draw together, if you're a well in Billericay or Tra- or Chelmsford, then um, things look a lot different. But yeah, it um, looks like Billericay and well in toss of a coin, really. And this is the season of any that you don't want to be going down with one going down. Yeah, Bath, as you mentioned, lost 3-1 at Concord. Manakai with a hat-trick there. And you know Jerry Gill quite well, don't you, Ian? And what's gone wrong for Bath, do you think, this season? Oh, I don't know, to be honest. I think they might might have changed their recruitment a little bit towards the start of the season. Jerry's always had um, used the loan market extremely well. To um, He's done it to great effect. And they've, they've always been up there pushing for the title early on or in a season and, and getting in the play, cementing themselves in the playoffs. I think they went earlier on in the season with a bit more experience, um, brought in Gary and one or two others. And it didn't quite work out. So they've had mid-season, they've had a turnaround of players. They've gone with youth again. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's, I think he's having one of those seasons, to be honest, where probably anything he does doesn't go right. <clears throat> they're probably having a lot of, he feel they're probably having a lot of decisions go against them and what have you. But um, then to stay in the league, if they can keep the group together, I'm sure they'll be, I'm sure it'll be completely different next year. So, um, and again, what we're talking about time, a, a club of Bath sort of stature, I'm sure there's a lot of people calling for his head. But 
these clubs, some of them, they can't be up there every single year. Sometimes there's a little blip and it's nice to see a club sort of standing by and, and believing in the manager, what he does, his, his, his past record being taken into account and um, give him a go next season as well. Yeah, as I mentioned uh, as well, the other results just to look at there is uh, Hampton, sorry, Haven't and Waterlooville, they won 4-0 against Braintree and again, lots of experience in their goal-scoring armoury there. They have Manny Dooku, James Roberts, Tommy Wright and Scott Randall all on the score sheet, having at Waterlooville. With something to pay for, Braintree, probably nothing to pay for now. They're safe along with Tombridge. As I mentioned, they drew 1-1 with Chelmsford. You're probably looking, like you say, at Slough, Concord, Tombridge, Braintree is the only four teams really with nothing to play for now. Yeah, you'd say so. Like I touched on earlier, I'm sure Slough and Concord might be secretly thinking they've got an outside chance, but um, is it realistic? Probably not. It's um, but Braintree, the manager's gone in now. I think he's done a wonderful job where they were when he took the when he took the job over. So obviously next season is going to be completely different. There's going to be four going down. So um, teams like Tunbridge, Concord, Braintree, they're, they're going to have an eye on next season. And next season, you, you need to get it right. Um, four going down is, is quite big. So it's going to be a tough league next year. Brill, well, Ian, thanks for joining us and uh, enjoy the rest of the season. And we'll, we'll try and get you on again before the end of the season. No problem, Luke. Pleasure to be on. Thanks. So joining us now to review the North, it is former Boston United manager Craig Elliott. Hiya, Craig. Hiya, you all right? Very well, thank you. And um, it's it's been a really interesting season, certainly at the top, hasn't it? It's to and fro a little bit. And Brackley are putting themselves now in, in pole position. They've been bridesmaids the last few years, haven't they? But again, they beat York by a goal to nil. And do you feel that they're in the hot seat now? I, I do. I think, um, me personally, I'd love them to do it this year. I think they've been so consistent for the last four or five years and unlucky sometimes to not go up. And I just think it's their year, personally. And uh, I mean, the clean sheets that they've got this season is just remarkable, really. Um, and I think as a part-time team as well, um, to, to do what they're doing, um, I just think they'll have enough to get over the line um, with the remaining games that's left. Yeah, it's a, a very solid team. Dickie's always mentioned a defensive record. I think because the fact they've been together quite a few years as well probably helps, doesn't yeah. it? It does. And like I said, they've been unlucky on a few other seasons where they maybe should have gone up. And I think the danger for them is if they don't go up and they end up in the playoffs again, I think in the mind they know that sometimes they sort of fail to get up through that sort of way. But like I said, I think the pitches are getting firmer um, and the football changes in the last month of the season. And I think they'll have sort of the know-how how to sort of play that pitch. Whereas Gates said, they are an out-and-out football team. They need that pitch to sort of run true for them. And uh, I just think Brackley got different ways of winning games and uh, I could just see him getting enough wins um, in the last month to sort of do the job. Yeah, Dickie, they like a one-goal win, don't they, Brackley? As opposed to Gates, they were very entertaining. 4-3 against Chester on Saturday. Well, I just, I just think it's really interesting how you've got two teams that are so... Opposites in, in a way, really. And it's it's really interesting for the league that it shows you that there's different ways that you can sort of challenge and be successful. And uh, I think they're both fantastic teams and fantastic sort of managers. And it's really interesting, the contrasting sort of styles, really. Yeah, I think Craig's absolutely nailed it there. I mean, my, I, I was just looking this morning and I almost compared it a bit like Gates said, a bit like, you know, gunslingers all stand in the square at, at, at noon and, and just, you know, fire bullet after bullet. Brackley are a bit more like the snipers. They just take a single shot, but that's normally enough to take you out. And 
it is the contrast in, in approaches between the two. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it's uh, like you said, it's going to be really interesting. It's going to go to the wire. It really is. And I think it's so exciting for the league. And uh, like I said, I, I just hope that Brackley can do it this year because for five years, they've been remarkable, really, consistency that they've shown. How have you, when you've gone up against Brackley, how, how, do you, how do you try and beat him? Because it's so difficult to beat, especially if you get ahead as well. Yeah, um, I lost the first two or three games against Kev Wilkins' teams and then uh, we, we sort of did well. We had two or three wins against them. I think the key is getting that first goal, I think. And I know it sounds obvious, but if they get that first goal, then they're so hard to break down and they sort of can counter-attack on you so well as well. And uh, I think if you can get that first goal, then sort of you, you've got a good chance of maybe getting a, a draw or a win against them. But if they get that first one, then they're so hard and the team spirit that they have. And like you just touched on there, they've been together so many years. They actually enjoy defending, and I'm sure they're taking a lot of pride in all these clean sheets um, as much as they have winning games of football. A file just behind them, they'll be strong favourite to the playoffs. They beat Hereford by two balls to one. Uh, James Rhodes gone in there and done a good job, and it was one of the new signings, uh, Sam Osborne, who got a goal in the 95th minute to see them past Hereford. And, with the resources they got there, Craig, you would fancy Files for the playoffs, wouldn't you? In my opinion, I think Files will be the team that will go for the playoffs. I've said that all along. I think Brackley will win it and I think Files will be such a dangerous team in the playoffs. Um, they've got some good players. Um, they've got brought in a good manager, obviously, now. Um, who's got a good winning mentality to him as well. Um, but I just think they've got as well, they've got some experienced players. And I think the key for them is, will their players be fit? The sort of experienced players like Whitmore at the back when it comes to the crunch games. And if they can have a healthy, fit squad. I think they're going to be a formidable team in the playoffs, personally. Yeah, Whitmore's been missing for a few weeks, but I, I don't think it's any surprise that, it, yes, it's the combined effect of having a new manager in James Rowe, but having Whitmore back in the side's really been a big help to them lately. It came really, really late for them yesterday, a winner in the, I think, the 95th minute. But, you know, yeah. uh, that that's what they've got. I think, I know I was over Telford a few weeks ago and, that was where that element of them being a full-time team really showed in, in the late stages of the game, as much as Telford had pressed and, and had really, um, you know, put all their effort into it. It was just that little extra edge in fitness that, that probably got them the point in the end. Yeah, exactly. And I think going into the playoffs as well, that preparation that they'll have, been able to sort of prepare for the playoffs as a full-time team. Um, and I felt sorry for Jim Benley, to be honest with you, because he went through a rough patch, but he was missing some big players. And it's very easy to say, oh, well, they should be able to cope. But, Every team's going to struggle when they miss sort of two or three of the, of the better players. And like I said, if they can have them players fit, then I'm sure they're, they're going to be a team to beat in the playoffs, to be honest. Dickie, can we officially declare that Kidd him into a back? I know you touched on it earlier, but they uh, they beat Southport by six goals to nil. Well, well I, I made some notes this morning and I thought perhaps we might have declared that two weeks ago when they beat Kerr's National 5 nil, but then they had a goalless draw at Bradford Park Avenue. Lost at home on Tuesday night against Alfreton um, in a game where I think Billy Heath's team did what Billy Heath's teams do. They just frustrated them. A 1-0 win with a Matt Reed header. And, and uh, that was a game that had had to be replayed owing to um, uh, the injury to, to Matt Preston, which saw him ruled out for the rest of the season a few weeks ago. Um, yeah. But yeah, 6-0 yesterday, two goals for Ashley Hemmings. I think Amari Sterling was on target. Amari Morgan-Smith, I mentioned Cliff Moyo scoring mm-hmm. late on in the game. Um, 
yeah, it does look as a little bit as if uh, uh, Moyo's brought their mojo back to a, a little bit. And I think they're a playoff team. I think I think it's been evident for a while that they will be in the playoffs, but it was just what kind of form they would be into in going into the playoff. In terms of Kidderminster, Craig, I mean, if they don't go up this year with, with what they've done in the FA Cup, they'll be able to maybe have the finance to bring in the players and give it a really good shot next year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're a full-time team, aren't they? Obviously, a big club at this level. I think um, it's just an hangover from the FA Cup. I, I remember mm. myself at Boston, we had a really good run at FA Cup, and it, it took us three, four weeks after coming out of it just to get going again. And I think as well, deep down, they know they're a playoff team, mm. so mm. It, they haven't got too much to play for at the minute. I think they're just waiting for the season to sort of end to get in them playoffs and get on with some big games then. And I think as well, you touched on there that um, Matt Preston was such a a massive player for him at the back as well. And it's a blow when you lose a, a, a big player like that as well. So these things take time to get over. And I think they're slowly doing that. And again, they're going to be a big team in playoffs because I, I think um, the thing they have got to play for is obviously home advantage and uh, they usually do pretty well at home. So um, again, in the playoffs, going to hit him into, it's going to be a big ask for a team to go there and beat him on their own patch. It's, it's interesting you mentioned about the cup stuff because we we just been touching on that about Boreham Wooden and playing Everton and, and the hangover. I mean, how long does it does it take really when you put in so much effort and then you get so close against a team and nearly beat them? Is it three or four weeks to really pick everyone up mentally as well? It is because you very easily go in a dressing room and say, oh, this is a big game and it could be Leamington away and no disrespect to Leamington, but it's not the glamour of the FA Cup. And mentally, you're just a bit sort of fatigued from all these big games and um, the, the press coverage and all these things. Um, and you, you're back down to earth and it takes two or three weeks just to sort of mentally come back out of that and then realise, right, we've got to get back going again. And because you're only human at the end of the day, players know that. And uh, I think as a group, um, like Russ Penn's done a great job down there and they'll regroup and, and they'll go again. And like I said, I can really see him having a strong end season and then been like filed a really tough team to beat in, in the playoffs. In midweek, I went to Charlie against Boston. Charlie won by two goals to one, two goals from John Uchabasi and I caught up with him after the game. Uh, John, uh, man in a match performance in the end and a massive three point. Yeah, it was a, it was a massive game. Obviously, Boston are, are a club that are sort of fighting for the playoffs and obviously we want to try and stay in the playoffs and try and push up to the to the higher places. And yeah, fortunately today I was managed, managed to score two and we managed to managed to win the game. I love that first goal, the way he just sat the keeper down and then and tapped it into the net, but great pace as well and great sort of awareness to shrug off the defender. Yeah, I mean, the, the surface was nice and wet today, so every time you knocked the ball, the ball would go a decent you know, distance in front of you. And then obviously when I was one-on-one with the keeper, I saw him rushing out, and obviously with the, with the wet surface, I thought if I take it to the side, he's going to commit one way. And then luckily I was in front of an open net, and, and, and you know, luckily managed to score. I was a bit panicky, like, you've got to score this, don't yeah. miss. But yeah, managed to score. And then obviously you kept me cool when there was a mistake at the other end, there was a miss kick, and you just you, you finished it brilliantly. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was sort of like running at defenders and, and a ricochet and it's actually come off my face. And um, fortunately, I've managed to, to be through on goal and I've, I've managed to sort of like keep my composure and, and try and lob the goalkeeper. You know, another day you try it and it goes out of play. Luckily today, it managed to go in and it was sort of like an important goal. And, you know, we managed to managed to keep the three points. Yeah, you guys are flying. You're having a great season. Well, personally, aren't you? Because obviously you stepped up from Staley Bridge. It's going well for you. Yeah, so I, so I came here last season after um, the season kind of ended from COVID. So I only managed to play two games, and the National League North got ended with COVID as well. And then, uh, fortunately, there was some like trial games and stuff like that where I, where I could show my show myself. And then, luckily, um, Vermo, you know, offered me a contract, and you know, I was delighted to stay here. Charlie are uh, in the playoffs. They, they had a good couple of wins, but again, they just couldn't follow it up. They only drew 
on a Saturday in the end, didn't they, Dickie? Yeah, they did. Yeah, just consolidated that that win they got in midweek um, with a goalless draw at Bradford Park Avenue, which you know isn't the worst result in the world. I think there's um, Bradford Park Avenue where they are this season, given the resources Mark Bauer has, is is you know speaks well for for how well um, he's managed those resources. They're they're comfortably clear of any relegation danger. Um, yeah, maybe a little bit of a disappointment for Chorley, but perhaps they're in the same boat that, uh, as Kidderminster there. And I think that for a while, they've looked pretty much uh, a shoe-in for a playoff place. And, and maybe there is an element of sort of waiting now for the bigger game to start again. Boston just, uh, Boston as well, we, as I said, he lost 2-1 in midweek. Missed a season from Joe Leasley that I saw. He was basically uh, underneath the crossbar and he headed it. He was on the line and headed it against the bar. I don't quite know how he, he managed to do it, but he made up for it on... Saturday opened scoring at Curzon in their 4-0 demolition. Danny Elliott added a second on nine minutes and Brad Abbott set two in two games for him. Uh, he got a third on 26 minutes before Shane Byrne wrapped it up on 83. Curzon had two men sent off, Marcus Pasha and Dale Whittam. And, um, well, that Boston United team is, is there's a lot of players there that you brought in, Craig, and know very well. Yeah. No, um, I, I fully expect Boston to get into the playoffs. Um I think the thing that in the summer when I was bringing in these players and building the squad, I knew that if it come to playoff games, that the experience and know-how would be a, a big thing. And, I, and again, I think Boston will be a really dangerous team if they manage to sneak into them playoffs because there's no players that are inexperienced and so it's not going to phase them. Um, like I've just touched on there, maybe going to Kidderminster or Fylde, there's lots of players that are just not going to be phased by that challenge and it's whether they can go into them playoffs in form um, with a bit of confidence and and again, they'll be a really dangerous team and um, I fully expect them to sneak in there and there could be a wild card actually um, in them playoffs. Yeah, well, another wild card that could be out, uh, could be Darlington, they've been on a good run. They, they got a nil-nil draw as well at Alfreton, which will be a good point for Alan Armstrong's men, but they've come from nowhere, haven't they? Well, you would look at it and think they've come from nowhere, but they've actually been on a really, really good run. I think they've only one defeat in their last 11 games. They're unbeaten in their last five. Um, and yet, all of a sudden, they're just finding form. They've been helped a little bit by the fact that um, a couple of teams who were on the edges of the playoffs, I mean, Southport, I was getting confused with Curtis National a couple of minutes ago, but they've had a dreadful run. I think they're just three points out of their last 21 um, and their form seems to have deserted them. I mean, whether that's down to being South, but Southport are a much younger side, to be fair, and whether it is that bit of experience at this stage of the season that's missing, I don't know. But yeah, but Darlington, it could have been much better for them yesterday as well. George Willis, the Alfredton goalkeeper, saved two penalty kicks in that game as well. Um, saved one uh, just before half-time and then uh, saved one uh, after about an hour, two different takers for Darlington, but no more success. They could have come away from there with three points. And you know, you come away from Alfreton with three points, you know that, you know, you've had to work for it and that would have been a great result for them. George Willis is a keeper you know well as well, Craig, isn't he? Yeah, very good keeper. Um, you know, very lucky to have him at Alfreton. Um, he's a top keeper at this level. Um, and I still think, I think Alfreton, to be honest with you, I still fancy the chances of sneaking in there. I mean, I think they're only six, seven points off. So at this stage of the season, <clears throat> there's a lot of excitement, I'd imagine, at, at Alfreton. And so it's a good result for them as well. Well, actually, people are talking about Dalit and getting playoffs, and it's a big game for them. But I'm sure Billy Heath and his players are thinking, well, if we can go on a good run, we can sneak in there. So, such an exciting running for the league. It really is. Um, you know, I wouldn't like to call it, to be honest with you, them last couple of places. Oh, funny enough, I was just going to ask you to call it, but there we go. You just really <laughs> don't know doing that. But um, because for 
for example, Norwalk comfortably in the playoffs a couple of weeks ago. They've lost three of the last yeah. four. They've dropped out now. Uh, Kettering are on the edge. Southport have dropped out, but they could easily go with a couple of wins as well. Spennymore are in 11th. They won again on Saturday. You've got the experience of, uh, of Donovan Bernard there as well. So, yeah. like you say, all the way down to maybe Alfredson, it, they won't be... We mentioned it in the South. It's great that they've extended the playoffs to seventh because it gives teams down in 13th still a sniff of the playoffs, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be remarkable. I mean, I, I keep thinking about what will happen next year when there's four relegation spots because I think one week you could be getting promoted next week you could be in a relegation battle and it's just um, it's remarkable, really. And like you said, it, the, the league's so competitive. I think, obviously, it goes without saying Brackley and Gates are going to be so consistent, but... Every other team's having good periods, bad periods, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be. Re- I think it's going to be really exciting to be honest with you for a fan to sort of see what happens in last month of the season. Yeah, it's uh, it's tightish at the bottom now. I mean, it's looking bleak for guys that he's still got a couple of games in hand on the teams above them, but they uh, they lost to Farsley on Tuesday in a game that you were at, Craig. Yeah, um, really sort of tense game, as you'd imagine, down there. But I've got to say, I was really impressed with Farsley. I watched them probably six, seven weeks ago and I, I really feared that they were going to be down there. But Russ Wilcox has done a fantastic job, um, brought in some good players and they look too organised. They look like they've got too many good players now, in my opinion, to sort of go down. I think the the only way is up for them for the rest of the season, personally. And I just think, um, looking at it, I, I think it's between Blythe and Geisley. Um, and Geisley... I just think they're struggling for goals. After watching them on Tuesday, they really looked like they didn't have many goals in the team. And I think that would be a worry going into the last month of the season. Where are the goals going to come from, really? And you look at the league table at the minute, they need a sort of a massive upturn in sort of confidence and goals and results. And yeah, but but they've got hope because they've got two good managers in charge as well. So Russ and Marcus, are, are, they know this league and um, they're in good hands. So it'd be interesting to see if they can pull it, um, pull it off, really. Yeah, Dickie, you'd say Gloucester are definitely safe now. They were looking worried a few weeks ago. They've pulled away. And uh, Telford are now pulling clear as well, aren't they, after that 2-2 job? But a really good win again for Gloucester. Uh, yeah, I, I saw Gloucester last week. Um, and I think I, could, I looked at the form book coming into that game one and, and their form was good. And I didn't think that Gloucester would be in any danger whatsoever. I thought they performed well at Telford. They probably played slightly better than Telford did, but, but lost 2-1. Um, a 4-1 win over Geisley yesterday, which I think pretty much has made them safe. Now, I think that takes them to something like 39 points, which I think, you know, given the state of the bottom of the table, it is comfortably enough. And I think it's goals um, that they've got, that they have got goals in that team. Four different scorers yesterday, Ollie Hulbert, Danny King, Jordan Thompson and Lucas Tomlinson. He's been a standout for them. James Gale did, half the deficit um, for Geisley bringing it back to 2-1 but and the, and the two goals came late on that, that made it safe the third and fourth goal so Geisley was still in it at that point but again when when you look out and when you're down at the bottom of the table things don't go for you and, and they're just not going for Geisley at the moment Yeah Lee Mansell starts to get Gene now out of Gloucester isn't he Craig you've got a lot of experience in that side you've kind of still got some of that experience but they're also adding good young players alongside it yeah, I think obviously Gloucester are full time as well, aren't they? And it's they're going to be able to get organised and, and sort of be up for these games as well. You'd imagine. So um, I, I always felt that Etelford and Gloucester were never really in too much danger going down. Personally, I just felt they had too much um, in the squad, um, too much quality. Um, but as we know, in other leagues and in this league, sometimes that 
you can get sucked into it. But I think now you're looking at it, and it, it does to me look like it between Blythe and uh, Geisley. Um, but Blythe had some good results away from home in the last uh, two or three weeks, so you can see there's uh, a lot of spirit in their camp. Um, and that's what you want to see at this stage of the season, I think, when you're down at the bottom. You want to see sort of um, good results um, that sort of lift the, the confidence in the group, and I think that's what Blythe have got at the minute. As you mentioned, Dickie, Blythe were, was 2-1 up at Telford till the very last minute. Well, not last minute, it was about the 10th minute stoppage time, wasn't it, in the end? But uh, what did you make of Blythe? Uh, they, as I expected, really, in terms of the way they went about their game, but it was it was substitutions in the sector half that swung it for them. Um, you know, they they shown flashes, particularly from O'Donnell. I think he's been a standout for them this season. I was a bit wary going into the game in that, as much as their form's been poor, they have pulled out wins away at Southport and Chorley, who are playoff teams. And you think, you know, you need to be on your guard a bit here. Um, yeah. I thought Telford. Did okay in the first half, got got into a 1-0 lead from Jason Oswell. But yeah, Terry Mitchell made two substitutions in the second half that absolutely swung it. Angelo Capello came on and he looked a real handful, scored within a couple of He's minutes. He's a good player, him. Yeah, I've watched him when they played Geisley. He really impressed me. What standout player that day, to be fair, Dickie. Yeah, and Danny Barlow then uh, got the second goal, 82 minutes on the clock. I think Blythe perhaps thought that they were... Um, uh, not exactly home and hose, but, you know, they put themselves in a great position. But, yeah, Telford fished uh, out an equaliser in the 93rd minute through Devon Green, who's been a, a, a good addition for Telford recently uh, from a Byron Moore cross. Um, and, yeah, I think in the end, uh, 2-2, I think that was probably a fair result. I don't think it does either team any harm, but I don't think it really helped any team it either uh, that much either. I think what probably went in their favour was we said that that Geisley 4-1 defeat at Gloucester, which just widened that gap without either team having to, you know, claim all three points to do it. Yeah, and anymore, they got a 1-0 win, as mentioned, over Leamington Judo Yibo scoring 10 minutes from time. Uh, now, Craig, obviously, as you say, you're out of work at the minute, keen to get back in it. Someone just say, have you enjoyed the break? Have you been, have enjoyed being able to reset and get out to games and, and ready to go again now? Yeah, I have, to be honest. I've had 13 years of being a, a, a manager. Um, most of them years sort of competing for promotions as well, so it's quite intense. Um, and I've loved being a fan. I've loved um, going to watch... I'm a non-league geek. I love it. Um, I have been since I was eight years old, so I've enjoyed going to all different levels, looking at different teams, um, and just watching players. And I'm a massive fan of non-league football. I think there's some fantastic teams and some tremendous players and... Uh, I've just enjoyed doing that. I mean, it's hard sometimes because you walk into grounds and people think you're there for jobs and mm. it's not the case. I'm, I'm literally trying to learn myself and, and just sort of get an understanding of how the teams play and I've really enjoyed that side of it. Um, I've had a couple of orders with family, but now I'm looking forward to in summer, um, hopefully getting back in. I've had some good conversations with some owners and stuff, so we'll see what the summer brings. Um, but yeah, it's been fantastic and I just can't speak highly enough of, of non-league football. I think there's the, some unbelievable volunteers and the standards just getting better every year for me. Would, would you want to get back in at National League North? Is that a priority or would you even take a job in, say, Step 3 if it's the right project? Yeah, I've, I've spoken to some owners in, in National League, some in National North, um, some in League below that, like you said. Um, I'm not snobby. It's all about the project for me. I've, I've had some fantastic clubs um, and it's all about challenging for promotions again. And that's what I've done most of my career. So um, I learned a lot at Boston. I absolutely had a fantastic time. Um, but like you said, it's that excitement that you need. I'm no different to a player. You want to feel excited when you join a club and feel like the club's got ambition. So that's the main thing for me. 
I was going to say, Craig, as well, it might it might help your waistline a little bit as well, because I know she's been posting photographs of you yeah. eating chips at half time and things like that. I have. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, we, we scout a works for me. It's a scout's diet. That's what it is. It's uh, <laughs> Bob Lone Pay and Peas. I've got to stop myself, to be fair. <laughs> Well, well, Craig, thanks for joining us and uh, hopefully you're back in management soon. Yeah, lovely. You're doing a great job, lads. All right, appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that is it. Thank you very much to all our guests, Craig Elliott, Ian Herring, Aaron McLean, and also to Rob, Chris and Dickie. I've been Luke Edwards. This has been the NL Full-Time Podcast, sponsored by Manscaped. Don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter at NL Full-Time and we're on Instagram as well. And we'll be back next week. We'll see you all very soon.